1: You're listening to Away with Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett.
2: And I'm Martha Barnett. On Twitter, Rachel Whitinger asks. Is there a name for working on a computer until it's all the way dark and there is only the light of the screen? This thing should have a word. Screen hearthing?
1: Screen hearthing?
2: You know that feeling when you've just like... been focused on your computer? Oh, I do and... know it.
1: Yeah. In the zone for hours In after, the I right. skipped a meal, haven't gone to the restroom, didn't get up. Right.
2: You're starving. Failed to answer right? the door. What do you think about screen hearthing? Mm. Maybe screen setting? It's like screen the sunset se- oh, outside. Interesting. Screen setting. You know, it's interesting. I said focus. You've been focusing all that time. And the word focus. In Latin means hearth or fireplace. So I kind of like that. Oh,
1: because it's screen the hearthing. focus of the family activity? Yes, yeah,
2: yeah, the focus of the oh, house.
1: interesting. How cool is that, it right? Could be, the right?
2: focal point. The of focal a house. point. But I kind of like either screen hearthing or the screen hearthing. Screen hearthing is too hard to say. You're right. It is, especially at the end of a long day when the sun has gone <laughs> down and you're just illuminated by your screen. <laughs> you're but you I know. I know. You've yes, had this I, experience. I used to
1: do that when I was an IT guy. I would go in on the weekends and holidays because nobody was there and you mm-hmm. could turn off the service. And do stuff like that, and Mm -hmm. I would literally leave the office and not know what time of day it was. I have no (laughs) idea what the weather was. It could have been seven p.m. or three a.m. I have no idea. Yeah,
2: maybe it's bigger than screen, though. You know, like when you go into work really early and the Mm -hmm. sun hasn't come up yet, and then you go home and it's dark. Because you've had a really long day. Maybe it's bigger than that. It says
1: something about the complexity of the modern workplace mm-hmm. where they expect you to work like that.
2: Exactly. Well, you know, I know a lot of people who are very interested in language and who may have suggestions for us. And they
1: have lots of opinions, I've found.
2: Mm-hmm, about all different kinds of things involving words.
1: And they can call us at 877-929-9673 or email us words at waywardradio.org or talk to us on the Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello, you have a way with words.
3: Hi, this is Jean. I'm calling from South Burlington, Vermont.
1: Hi, Gene. Welcome to the
2: show. What's going on, Gene?
3: Okay, the word I have for you is crustical. A little bit of background on this. I have worked as a deckhand on the Lake Champlain ferries. There's three crossings on Lake Champlain. And in the wintertime, I don't work the winters anymore, but uh, we used to have arguments, uh, friendly arguments about... Uh, the accumulation of uh, salt and dirt in the wheel wells of uh, cars and trucks that would get deposited on the decks of the ferries. And uh, it got to be a pain, actually, to move these chunks. Uh, they had some indelicate, uh, indelicate words to use <laughs> to describe these uh, chunks of ice, frozen material. And then one of the guys came up with the idea that uh, he had heard somewhere that the word was "crusticle," that was inside the wheel well of a truck or a car. And I was wondering if uh, if it was just a regionalism. He didn't know uh, where the word came from except that he heard it from somebody else and whether it was invented or if you have any idea of a history of the word or if it's been used in that context before.
2: Uh-huh. Interesting. I was going to ask you how you felt about crusticles because, of course, we don't live where there's snow and ice, but I sort of have fond memories of them, of, of uh, kicking them out of the wheel wells. It's sort oh, of, so satisfying. Oh, yeah, yeah it's kind of like a bubble moment. wrap, yes. you know,
3: squeezing <laughs> bubble wrap or something. When it comes
1: out perfectly formed with the shape of the inner wheel well, that's the best moment.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I can tell you that my wife just uh, about... 30 minutes ago, she had to go outside and uh, scrape the uh, melted crusticles off the garage floor. And she wasn't too happy about it. No, no. Uh-huh.
2: I guess it's different when you don't live there. Now, we have ac- have come across this
1: term before, Jean. In Vermont, in actually. In Vermont, yeah. We've got an email from uh, Judy Bond in 2015. When we, we talked about something like this on the show before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. And she said I- that she knew it and learned it from the Burlington Newspaper.
2: Oh yeah, I think you all had some kind of contest or something to name those things, well, and somebody came up with. Well, we Crestico. didn't, and we
1: didn't have a contest, but we had so many people with their own terms. for the snow snot, I think, was one of them, and
2: <laughs> I liked
3: Fenderberg. Fenderberg is a great one. <laughs> Fenderberg, yeah. No, I hadn't heard those. No. Yeah, or carsical. so maybe that's where he had heard the word. It's yeah, it possi- could be. It's, it
1: doesn't Google all that well, or it does Google, but for some more offensive things, don't go to Urban Dictionary's definition for it. But I looked in the newspaper databases, and I don't—it just doesn't come up that that much. But it's a logical word; it makes a lot of sense. And the "ickle" suffix is what we call in linguistics very productive. But lots of things are, have "ickle" added to them to mean something made of hard ice.
3: Yeah, yeah. Because these, some of these, that would come off of eighteen-wheelers on trucks, and we would have as many. The, the ferries are pretty long; they're two hundred plus feet long, uh-huh. and we would have. As many as four or five tractor trailers on, mm-hmm. and in a uh, on a winter's day, uh, they would come up the ramp and they would, uh, you know, bounce along and they would get onto the boat, and uh, these chunks, some of them pretty big, you know, five, ten pounds worth of ice. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, we would have to, you know, shovel them off, and and when you have um, uh, just a channel uh, on the crossing, uh, you would uh, be shoveling this stuff off, and you'd see it on the on the lake for the next three or four weeks, you know, it would still be there because the temperatures would stay really low. Right,
2: right. Well, I can see why you might have an off-color name for those things if they're, if they're making yeah. your life that difficult. What's interesting to me is that there are so many different names for these things um, that people have just made up and, and use around the country, mm-hmm. um, like slush puppy or kickies because you kick them off, um, yeah. but nothing really canonical.
3: Right, nothing that yeah. stuck for everyone. yeah. yeah. Well, Fenderberg sounds pretty good, too. I like that one. That's <laughs> a, one. a nice Private. sound, yeah, too, I like right? that one, too.
2: Well, Gene, yeah. you have our sympathies <laughs> from out here on the West Coast. Good luck with the <laughs> crossnacles.
3: That's part of what it, what it is living up in the North, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Take no, care. It's a beautiful town. Bye. Gene. Okay, thank you. Bye. Okay. Uh,
1: this is unrelated, but it reminded me of one of the tricks we used to play on people when I worked in fast food as a teenager. What? Well, he was talking about his wife cleaning the ice off the floor of the garage and how much she hated it. Yeah. We used to tell the newbies to get a wet mop and go mop the walk in freezer floor.
2: Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> How can I have known you all these years and I never knew until just now? I'm sure we talked about this before. Yeah, and they don't
1: quite realize that the mop is going to freeze and it's going to be ugly real soon.
2: (laughs) Really? Did they do that to you, too? Oh, yeah.
1: There was all kinds of little miniature hazing. But my brother and I, we instituted all kinds of new hazing.
2: Oh, like sending people for striped paint? Yeah,
1: yeah. I even brought up one that I'd learned from Mark Twain, the the hazing that he went through when he worked for his brother's printing press. They had to look for type lice, which doesn't exist. Type lice. And so we invented ice cream lice, and we told the frontline people who worked the soft ice cream machines to be on the lookout for for ice cream lice. They had to be, yeah, there's no such thing. Oh,
2: my gosh. (laughs) I'm glad I was a freelancer all (laughs) those years.
1: Anyway, 877-929-9673.
2: In his book, Bleak House, Charles Dickens coined the term growlery, which uh, he used to mean a place to growl in, like, a, like your private sitting room, mm-hmm. you know, the place where you just go to, to Arr, sulk, be grumpy. which is funny because the word boudoir comes from the French word that means to sulk. It was originally the place where the woman went to sort of. Pout.
1: So the growlery is the masculine version of the bourgeois. <laughs>
2: yeah, sort of like the man cave, I guess. But versus... now
1: bourgeois has different connotations. It does indeed. It but it goes back. And...
2: Yes, but it goes back to this image of, of pouting.
1: When did we leave this wonderful time when we create rooms for every emotion? <laughs> where's Where's my? I know, right? Well, we, have the, we have the thinking room. We all know what that room is. Yeah, I know that room. <laughs> <laughs> we have the sleeping room. Magazine room. Yeah. Hello, you have A Way With Words.
0: Hi, Martha. Hi, Grant. This is Mary Bell Scott from Montgomery, Alabama.
1: Hi, Mary Bell. Welcome
2: to the show. Hey, Mary Bell. Welcome. What can we do for you?
0: Well, at work, when we are really busy, we will tell people that we are slamming. Or that if we're just covered up with work, that we are slammed. Where do you work? I work at a doctor's office in Montgomery, uh, Montgomery Cardiovascular Associates. Mm -hmm. I do stress tests there. Okay. And and if we get really busy, then slamming gets a whole new syllable. It's slamming. Slamming. (laughs) Let
1: me ask you, is this when customers come in without an appointment and you kind of have all this unexpected business?
0: No, not necessarily. Um, People get there and... Everything is supposed to be nice and smooth, and sometimes there are little hitches, and things have backed up. And, and actually, I've heard that expression and used it myself for decades.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Did you ever work in food service? No. No. I never no. did. No, because okay. all the people who have worked in food service, they probably know this.
2: Uh-huh. It's very, oh, do they? Yeah, Yeah,
1: cool. uh, being slammed is really common in the restaurant business
2: uh-huh. or the catering yeah. business. And I'm wondering, too, if you use slam as an adverb. To say like we're slam full, yes, yeah, because okay. that's kind of a southernism mm-hmm. to say we're slam full or I ate so much food I'm slam full as an
1: emphatic, yeah, mm-hmm.
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking that those might be connected, slam yeah, full, surely, and surely.
1: But I I think the food service connection is also strong, right? Mm, oh, I've heard lots of people like the it's food the it means in that. the weeds to be slammed. Yeah, uh,
0: is there anything specific? uh attach that to food service? No. Are talking like doors slamming between the kitchen and the <laughs> serving area? No. Yeah. I,
1: I, I think it has to do with the really basic meaning of to slam, which means mm-hmm. to hit hard. Yeah. So if a lot of customers show up all at once, you feel like you've been hit hard. Like two two buses pull up in the parking lot. <laughs> they're like, oh, put the burgers
0: on. Uh, <laughs> fixing to get slammed. You you fixing are indeed, to get slammed. You are fixing
1: to get slammed. <laughs> getting hit hard. Wow. Well, Mary Bell, thank you so much for sharing that language with us. I know you've got a bunch more, so you're going to have to call us again sometime and and share some more, all right?
0: I will do it. All right. Take take
1: care. Bye bye.
0: Thank you guys so much.
2: Sure thing. Bye bye. -bye. bye -bye. We want to hear the language from your workplace. Call us 877 929 9673 or send it in email to words at waywardradio.org. our facebook group oddly robinson wrote while walking in the wood near my home i came across a sign that stated no flogging allowed and oddly realized <laughs> that someone had added an f to the logging and this prompted a whole discussion from people who had seen people who improved on signs for example jenna schnoor in alaska said that on a trail around a local lake somebody had changed thin ice to think nice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> sure.
2: I love that. And then you'll appreciate this. Uh, Mary Ellen Brooks wrote uh, that she saw a sign that said, speed zone ahead, change to speed on ahead. <laughs> Oops.
1: <laughs> That's like the uh, scratching on the ha- hand dryers in the restroom. They're often modified to say oh. <laughs> push button becomes push butt.
2: Oh, really? (laughs) Maybe Maybe in the boys. The boys'
1: room is a little different.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I also like this one from Umison Keaton Smith, who says, I used to live in northeast Portland near Flanders Street. Someone added a D after the N-E, so the sign said Ned Flanders Street.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You want those to be ensconced and become permanent.
2: Right, for all you Simpsons fans out there. 877-929-9673. This show's about language examined through family, history, and culture. Stick around.
4: This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups.
1: You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett.
2: And I'm Martha Barnett. And joining us now is our quiz guy, John Chinesky. Hi, John. Hi,
1: John. Hi, Martha. Hi, Grant.
4: I set myself a task this week uh, to come up with a quiz based on a random phrase. And when I thought to do this, I was walking up the subway stairs, and immediately the first thing I saw was a coffee cup sitting at the top of the stairs. Now, today's quiz is called Coffee Cup. Here's how it works. I'll give you a word... And then a definition of the word that I want that word to be. Now, the only way we'll get the new word is by adding an M, like milk, Mm -hmm. or an S for sugar. Okay. Now, sometimes you may have to add both milk and sugar, an M and an S, or multiples of them. For example, if uh, the word is cap, C-A-P, but what I really need is a place to pitch my tent, your answer would be... Camp, or adding one M. One milk. That's right. Very good. If the word was foil, F-O-I-L, but what I really need is a relic of the past, your answer would be?
2: Fossil, so that would be two S's, two sugar. Two sugars.
4: S's, right, very good.
2: Or sugar and soy.
4: Sugar and soy, very good. It's <laughs> very modern, I like that. Let's order a few. The word is now, but what I really want is cold weather precipitation. Snow,
1: we're adding an S. so one sugar Yes, to very milk. good. Yeah.
4: The word is cob, but what I really need is a common tonsorial tool.
2: That would be a comb, so you're adding one M. -M
4: C-O-M-B. Tonsorial. Very nice. Very nice word, tonsorial. Mm. Tonsorial. The word is pal, but what I really want is a sacred song or poem. Mm.
1: Psalm, right? P-S-A-L-M,
4: adding an S and an M. An S and an M has both milk and sugar. Yes, very good. Psalm. The word is tar but what I really need is a monarch or emperor.
2: <laughs> okay. Sar,
4: right? T-S-A-R, adding an S. T-S-A-R, yes. The word is halo, but what I really want is peace in Israel.
2: Ah, you would be adding an S-anonym to make shalom.
4: That's Shalom, and shalom to you as well. Now, I was given a T, T-E-A, but what I really want is what's coming out of the teapot. Steam. Steam, <laughs> and an yes. S and an M for steam. S and an M. Very good. The word is coerce, but what I really want is the buying and selling of goods. Two, two
2: M's. Two
4: M's, yeah, for commerce. Two M's. Double milk. Very good. Yeah. The word is ink, but what I really want is the capital city of Belarus. <laughs> <laughs> Minsk. M M-M and an S. Minsk is right. The word is eBay but what I really want is my country's headquarters in another country. An embassy. <laughs> mm, an embassy. Two S's. Uh-huh. That's right. I'm taking my coffee and getting out of here. Yeah, Goodbye. where's
2: the coffee? Yeah, That's I what left I yours know. at the top
4: I of know. the <laughs> stairs for, so you could pick it on your way That's up the so subway. It oh, is,
2: <laughs> God, yeah. At the top now. of
4: every New York City subway platform staircase, there is a cup of coffee waiting there for you. Waiting yeah. for me.
2: <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> but thank you, John.
1: Thanks, John. We appreciate it. Talk to you next week. Thank you, guys. Bye.
2: We'd love to talk with you about any aspect of language, so call us, 877-929-9673, or send us an email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. We have a very active Facebook group, and you can find us on Twitter at WayWord.
1: Hello, you have a way with words.
5: Hi, this is John calling from uh, New York City.
1: Hi, John. Welcome to the show. Hi, John. What can we do for you?
5: Well, Mike. Question um, is it, something that I've been pondering um, my my entire adult life. Basically, I've grown up uh, speaking multiple languages, uh, primarily English and uh, Tagalog, uh, which is uh, the national language of the Philippines. And um, I learned both languages simultaneously um, as a child, and, and still speak you know Tagalog fluently now as an adult. And it was funny when I uh, heard your show while I was in San Diego, um, you know, that question popped up immediately because I was in the car uh, with my family speaking Tagalog, speaking English, and I found myself, you know, code switching, you know, pretty seamlessly, but I caught myself changing, I guess, personalities. I I found myself, um, you know, when I spoke English, I was very forthright, very direct, um, very matter of fact, you know, speaking but then when I code switched over to um, Tagalog, I found myself a bit less aggressive sounding, I guess. I felt myself sounding more compassionate, kinder, more soft-spoken. I struggled, you know, in, in speaking with my mom in particular. So I guess I just wanted to know from your end if, if you come across any research or anything that you've known um, just, you know, through through your experience. Um, if there is such a thing as as personality changes uh, when one person switches from one language to another, um, especially when they're from two very separate language families,
1: I love this. Wow, this is great, John. Yeah. This yeah. is this is this is a question that many people spend a lot of time looking into.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. and you were speaking with family who learned it the same way, learned both languages the same way you did.
5: No, no. So my mom and her sisters, uh, they. Grew up in the Philippines,
2: uh-huh.
5: um, so Tagalog was their first language, and English was the, uh, the academic language that they used in school.
2: I see. Uh, whereas
5: for me, it was switched, because English, you know, I grew up in, in California, so English was used everywhere, and I would only use Tagalog at home.
1: Uh Yeah, so the question's really important that Martha asked there, because one of the main reasons people feel like a different person when they speak a different language is that the context is different. And Mm -hmm. by that, I mean um, you, when you speak Tagalog, um, you are speaking to people who you respect. You're speaking to your Mm -hmm. elders, right? You're speaking to Mm -hmm. your mother, maybe your grandparents, your aunts and uncles. Family, Mm Family. And when you speak English, that's kind of like the the language of everyday life where those, those bonds of respect aren't necessarily going to be in place. The other mm-hmm. thing is, and I don't know that this is true for these two languages, but sometimes when people talk about feeling like a different person when they speak a different language, they have an imperfect understanding of one of the languages or both of them. And so they have a different inventory of words that they're trying to work with. Mm-hmm. And then the third factor, and maybe this is more important to you, is the culture that goes along with mm-hmm. the language, where mm-hmm. English, for example, doesn't have, say, a formal, a formal u or a formal VU form or anything like that, or mm-hmm. and um, I think Tagalog does have some formal registers. There's some things yes. that you do yes, it right, does. and mm-hmm. the honorifics may be more explicit in Tagalog than they are in English, and some things like that.
5: Yes, definitely. But
1: you're not alone on this, and there's so much to say on this that uh, I don't think Martha and I could could spend a couple hours with you, and I'd love to talk (laughs) about it for a couple hours, but I want to recommend a book to you that I think will get you started on this. It's called Life with Two Languages. An introduction okay. to bilingualism. It's by mm-hmm. François. I don't know if he pronounces his last name in French, but it's Grosjean in French. G R O S J E A N. Yes, looks like, yes. I just looks looked like, it up. Yes, it looks like <laughs> Grosjean. Yeah, life with two languages. Yeah. And there may be Perfect. a new edition, but the edition that I have is published in 1982. And okay. he he really gets into this. And there's been a lot more work done since he started it. But I think his work is a good place for you to begin.
5: That's great. Thank you so much. I'm 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 really happy that 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 you you know. Brought that up. It's very enlightening and, and empowering, um, especially you know when you know being second generation Filipino American, and there's definitely that language barrier between you know my mom and her sisters mm-hmm. and myself. And I try very hard to to use my Tagalog skills to to connect with them and to maintain my relationship. And you know, hearing all that is just you know, pretty mind blowing. Um, so I I really appreciate it. Thank you so much.
1: It's our pleasure. And i want to add one thing to that, John. That I kind of sure. want to, I want to reframe what you just said. Part mm-hmm. of the reason that you're hearing a difference in the two languages is because of you. You mm. are putting the love that you have for your your Tagalog speaking family into your relationships with them. It's coming out in your words and your words choices. So you're kind of echoing back to yourself. The, the the love that's automatically already there. So it's not only on the language, it's as much as a relationship as anything.
5: That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> well, <laughs> Thank I, I, you so much.
1: Another thing I want to tell you before you go, this actually happens yeah. in English, um, where people will talk at length about why mm. words, say, of Latinate origin don't feel as, as real to them as words of an Anglo-Saxon or Germanic origin, even within words that are fully Anglicized and are completely English. People still say that they can feel a difference in the tone and quality of their word choices based on the original Mm -hmm. language that the word came from. It's really cool. Mm
5: -hmm. Do you have a specific example between anglicized and uh, Latin words? So so that that I get a better understanding. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. So the the naughty words, for example. The way we talk Mm -hmm. about uh, the sex act, for example. If we were to use the more Latinate words that are a little more like the romance languages, like intercourse or copulate or, copulate or fornication <laughs> yes. versus the very, the words that we can't say on the air for the act. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs>
2: yeah. A I'm little more distance
1: there.
5: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great.
2: John, thank um, you so much for yeah. calling.
5: Yeah. Thank you also. I guess, you know, I, um, how to say that in Tagalog, you would say salamat. Uh, which, fascinatingly enough, um, I guess is, is derived from Arabic. Uh, when you say "Assalamu Alaikum," salam meaning peace, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you could spend hours again talking about <laughs> language etymology and all that stuff. So that's how you would say it in, in my language, but oh, uh, i thank- yeah. And what,
1: what, what would we say in return?
5: <laughs> um, you would say uh, "Salamat," also. Yeah, you say "Salamat." Eh? Salamat. <laughs> thank you very yeah, much. Salamat John. also. Awesome. Thank you so much. Bye, Take bye. care, you guys.
1: Take care, John. Bye. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye bye. We'll put a link to that book on the website so people know know where to go for the resources.
2: Yeah. And I was going to say that if you want a less academic take on that kind of thing, Richard Rodriguez's book Hunger of Memory mm-hmm. about growing up in this country in California as a first generation uh, son of Mexican uh, immigrants uh, is really wonderful. Just, just It really gives you a, a sensuous uh, feeling for what it's like to speak Spanish at home and English outside. Side of the home.
1: I, f- I do feel like I need to say something very clearly, though, that maybe didn't come all the way through, which is there isn't necessarily anything inherent in a language that makes it more loving or harsher right. or, just... or more direct or more indirect than another language. It's mostly the associations mm-hmm. and how much each individual speaker knows of that language. Yes.
2: And how you learned it.
1: And how you learned it.
2: Yeah. I'd love to hear from other listeners about their experience uh, talking and living in two languages. Give us a call, 877-929-9673, or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. If you think about spelling out numbers, like one, O-N-E, mm-hmm. two, T-W-O, how far do you have to go before you use the letter B? Uh,
1: I don't know. Do you have an answer for me? Let me see. I do. Um, billion? Billion. Wow. How about
2: that? How about that? Billions. That's pretty cool. 877
1: Hello, you have a way with words. Hey there, this is Bo calling from
6: Huntsville, Alabama. How are you?
1: Excellent. Welcome to the show. Hi, Bo. What's up? How are you?
6: I'm a physical therapist uh, in Huntsville, Alabama. When I was a uh, student uh, about six years ago, my clinical instructor uh, warned me in, in rural Northeast Georgia. She said, uh, So you're going you're to get this question, you're going to get patients that say this. They're going to say, I got a rising in my leader. And when they say that, it means a hamstring cramp. And I thought she was crazy. And I kid you not, like the second patient we saw started locking up in their hamstring after a total knee replacement. And they said, I'm a leader, my leader. It's rising. I got a rising in my leader. <laughs> and I have been super curious ever since to know where that came from, because I hear it in rural North Alabama, just like I heard it there.
7: Uh-huh. I hear
6: it about once every 10 patients, I'll catch it. Some patients know what I'm talking about. Some have no idea and they don't even know where it came from, mm-hmm. but I'm curious.
2: And, Bo, how do you think they're spelling leader? Yeah,
6: that's a good question. So my colleagues and I were talking about it, and we were like, maybe it's like lederhosen or something like that. So <laughs> some sort of a German background. I don't know if it's leader, like leader of, of soda or water, or if it's if it's leader, like L-E-A-D-E-R. My, my first impression would be, like, L-I-T-E-R or... Um, L-E-I, something like that. I'm I'm terrible at spelling anyway, though.
2: Oh, this is so wonderful. Yeah, the word that they're using is leader, L-E-A-D-E-R. And it's an old word that means a sinew or a tendon. It's also interesting that they use the word risin. Have you heard risin in relation to any other ailment?
6: Yeah, some patients will say it's kind of rising up on them. So Uh like, they're usually talking about a muscle, but they say it's right it's kind of rising up on I me mean, when I turn my head and uh, I figured I, I understood what that meant but yeah rising like like rising but without the G that the n at the end
2: right right and and that rising it means a uh, swelling. Like you might have a risin yeah. on your finger or something. So if you got a risin in, in your leader, your your sinews or your tendons, then yeah, I can see how that would be a swelling that causes a cramp.
1: Do people ever say that, oh, they, man. that they pulled a leader just to mean that they've got a sore muscle? They do call
6: it a leader in uh, like separately sometimes from risin. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll just say my leader hurts or but they're always talking about their hamstring. I've never heard it talked about with like the forearm or the shoulder or the mm. neck.
2: I thought that was interesting. Yeah, you will find the word leader in medical dictionaries from the turn of the last century.
1: Oh, you find it going back right. to the seventeen hundreds. Oh, really? Yeah, that, yeah. And and medical and dictionaries. Medical dictionaries, variety of different texts okay. and stuff. Yeah, All right.
6: Yeah, they don't teach us that in school. So,
1: <laughs> but it, well,
2: that's why we exist. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but there's a there's one theory that I really love about why it's a leader, and it may have something to do with either ropes mm-hmm. or with roots, mm-hmm. or, or, or plants. Mm-hmm. For example, one of the pieces of jargon in in the plant world is the leader is the main stalk or branch Mm -hmm. or trunk or root around which all the other ones kind of um, attach or appear or are secondary to it. So Mm -hmm. that's a lead. But also in ropes, when you're learning how to tie ropes, they will talk about the leader, and this is the one that's going in, around, and through in order to create a particular knot. Mm -hmm. Interesting.
2: Yeah. And the other... um idea that, that informs that, I think, is the fact that sometimes the word guider is used in the same way. As a leader. To right. mean a yeah. leader. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so you think of somebody like using a rope to guide an animal or something. Could be. All right. Perfect. But you know what? I bet you hear other great uh, medical vocabulary there in that area, and I would love it if you call us again sometime with, with more. Sure we will do. Okay. Th-
1: thanks, Bo. Take care. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, the editors of the Dictionary of American Regional English did surveys where they went around the country, recorded people, and they asked them a lot of questions about Mm -hmm. ailments, things Mm -hmm. that are wrong with the body. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the answers that came up. But one of the other ones that people might be more familiar with is diabetes called the sugar. The sugar. I've got Mm -hmm. the sugar. And if a doctor starts a new practice in a place where they don't speak the local English dialect, they might be befuddled at mm-hmm. first trying to figure out what a patient. Yeah, I was diagnosed with the sugar, and I need I need my medicine. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: 877-929-9673. Hello. Welcome to Away With Words.
8: Hi. My name is Katie Hooper. I'm calling from Dallas, Texas.
1: Hi, Katie. Welcome to the show.
2: Hi,
8: Katie. What's up? So my question has to do with the words um, caregiver and caretaker. I've noticed that I tend to use them interchangeably, but then we think of the words giver and taker as opposite. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's interesting to me that caregiver and caretaker would mean the same thing. So I guess. My question is, do they actually mean the same thing, or are there times when one is the right one to use?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, the term caretaker is more like somebody who's hired to take care of property or something. Like a
8: place instead of a person. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah, like a janitor or a groundskeeper. Caretaker is the older word. Caregiver really took off uh, in this country in the 1960s, and... um, in Britain, you often hear carer instead of caretaker or caregiver, but caregiver is the later word, and I do associate that much more with um, with looking after a person, whether it's a child or an ailing, ailing parent or something like that.
8: Okay, that's interesting. So caregiver for a person and then caretaker more for like a property or a, a house or something like that. Mm-hmm. At least
1: in this country. That's how it's come down, um, but it wasn't always the case. Caretaker used to be the primary term because what, 1960s for caregiver? It's not, it's, yeah,
2: yeah. And then it really took off. Yeah. yeah. But I would be interested to know what your colleagues uh, think about that.
8: Okay. Well, I'll ask around, yeah. but I will go with caregiver for people from now on. Yeah. Yeah. I think
2: it's just more personal, but that's, that's kind of a gut feeling I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
8: yeah.
1: Thank you so much for your call, Katie. We okay. Really thank you so
8: much. All right. Bye bye.
1: Eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or talk to us on Twitter at WAYWORD.
0: This
4: episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com.
1: You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett.
2: And I'm Martha Barnett. We had a conversation not long ago about grammograms, which are a kind of rebus that uses only letters. So, for example, if you want to indicate the word empty on a vat, Mm -hmm. if it's empty, you can just write the letters M-T. We heard from a listener Mm -hmm. who actually does that in his work. And we heard from a lot of other listeners who use those kinds of things in different ways. For example, Robert Crecklow of Arlington, Texas, called us to say that he's a high school theater teacher and that stage managers have to record a lot of data like sound cues and light cues and where actors enter and exit. And when you're writing in the script, you just use the letter Q. Instead of the word C-U-E. Of course, sure. Just quickly use the letter Q, which is super cool because our word Q, meaning a prompt, Mm C-U-E, comes from the Latin quando, Q-U-A-N-D-O, which means when. And then we heard from Tim Healy, who is in the plumbing business, and he pointed out that pipes that are shaped like the letter Y Mm -hmm. are actually called Y pipes spelled W-Y-E, which is super cool. You Google Y-W-Y-E and you'll see all these pipes Mm. that are shaped like the letter Y. And one more example, you know the term bill of materials It's a list of materials that are required by a contractor to complete a contract Mm -hmm. or a list of all the raw parts and intermediates and subassemblies. It's called a bill of materials. The acronym for it is B-O-M, pronounced BOM. Well, we heard from Vince in Virginia who works in a shipyard that refuels nuclear carriers and submarines. And he says he works in the materials section. And so on a daily basis, he's making nuclear bombs. (laughs) (laughs) And they also, when you're talking about a bill of materials, you can explode that bill of materials, which means you you list everything and and distribute it to the people who are going to be using the different parts. So he's not only making nuclear bombs, but he's exploding them on a regular basis. (laughs) Vince, be careful out there. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, we know you've got weird language in your work. Just hunt up stuff that seems exciting to you. Share it all with us, 877-929-9673. Or tell us all about it on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D.
2: Hello, you have a way with words.
9: Yeah, hi. This is Tim from Arlington, Texas. And um, I'm I'm curious about the origin of the term camp or campy, um, as in like camp cinema. Um because uh when whenever i hear you know cinema or theater described like this um you know i i picture in my mind like people around a campfire maybe telling ridiculous stories um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm curious how this came to be a descriptor of of that sort of thing.
2: Uh huh. And what would you um give as an example of that sort of thing? What would you describe as campy?
9: Well, to me, um, I, I, I guess you know, I picture you know actors who are maybe hamming it up a little bit,
2: mm-hmm.
4: um,
9: maybe not entirely serious, not not exactly the most highbrow sort of sort of cinema or theater. Mm-hmm. Right okay, makes a lot
1: of sense, yeah, yeah. long so history. I'm gonna trace it backward from the meaning that we have today with it, which is roughly what you you've said. Uh, dictionaries would probably say can't be. Usually, is a lot of overacting and perhaps an element of humor because of the overacting. Sometimes the campiness or the camp comes from um, ridiculous set decorations or just the whole premise is ridiculous, even if the acting is utterly normal and ordinary. Right. But before that, back going, let's go take it back to. um, By the time it appeared in the entertainment business in the 1950s, it had a notion of homosexuality. It was connected to the idea of uh, exaggerated gayness and almost always meant male gayness or mm-hmm. male homosexuality. Uh-huh. Okay, and,
9: interesting. and when it
1: first appears in print, and I'm going to asterisk this and come back to it in a second, in the early 1900s, that's exactly what it was. It was about stereotypical male homosexual behavior, just like really kind of playing it up. Mm-hmm. That asterisk is It's probably much older than the early 1900s. Most words appear in mouths and ears before they appear in print. With slang, we know that they're they're even older than just regular words. And with taboo words, or words having to do with taboo culture, like anything from gay culture... Um, at the time, those are probably even older. So I would not be surprised to find that that camp or campy in this way probably easily comes from, you know, 1880s or 1870s or even earlier than that. So that said, why camp is in there, we don't really know. There's a bunch of bad theories, but the one that has the most validity, most slang lexicographers could kind of get behind, is it might come from a French verb, Mm -hmm. camper, which means to kind of camp out on a spot in a really dominating way, like a fierce, strong way. Um, and it's something... Okay. You take control of the place and you do it in a maybe a military fashion, not necessarily in a... Um, uh, not have nothing whatsoever to do with the theater or with any kind of entertainment culture.
2: Yeah, kind of striking a pose.
1: Uh, being provocative, like owning mm-hmm. a place. Sure, yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Wow.
0: Okay.
2: Yeah, and it really became um, popularized in modern culture with Susan Sontag's uh, essay from 1960
9: uh, on photography.
2: Uh, no, it's called Notes on Camp, and she sort of brings oh, it okay. out of uh, gay culture uh, because for a long time. It was kind of like private code almost. It, mm-hmm. Before that, um, you could see signs in New York City uh, in gay establishments that said, Are you going to the beach this summer or are you going to camp? Little play on words. There.
9: Ah, okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, I and, had no idea it had any association with this kind of culture, um, yeah. especially. As often as you hear the term, uh, no no idea whatsoever.
1: This is a really far field of language, but if you read about how gay people used to identify each other before gayness was as accepted as it is today, what's really interesting is that some people believe that camp came out of that, that you might exaggerate certain... Behaviors that were not seen as heterosexual in order mm-hmm. to send a really strong signal to anyone in the area that you were gay and you might be open to meeting.
2: We call that dropping a hairpin. Huh? There
1: we go. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. Great. Thanks, well, Tim. We really yeah, appreciate
2: thank- it. Yeah. Thanks for yeah, calling. Yeah. Thank
1: you. Take care now. Bye bye. Bye
2: bye. We talk about all kinds of language on this show, and we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call, 877-929-9673, or send your questions in email to words at waywardradio.org. And if you just can't wait, we have a very active Facebook group. I have been reading up on dueling. You can imagine why.
1: Dueling. D-U-E-L-I-N-G. Dueling. Yes. Okay. Yes.
2: Like the most famous duel in American history. Do
1: you need me to be your second? Is that why you've been researching this?
2: (laughs) No, I don't need you to be my second, but I found a super cool word involving dueling, which, of course, I was inspired to read about because of Hamilton. Gotcha. Um, The word delope.
1: D-E-L-O-P-E. Delope. Mm-hmm.
2: Delope. It's the act of throwing away your shot.
1: Oh, I'm not throwing away my shot.
2: Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. That term is delope. I didn't know how that. How about that? That's yeah. cool. And yeah. what else
1: did you find out about dueling?
2: Um, well, I, I was looking at uh, the art of dueling from 1836, which says, Sometimes a man is placed in a situation when he considers it his duty to delope or fire in the air. Gotcha. Yeah. Dueling is dumb and immature, is what it is.
1: But <laughs> well, there's a reason we don't. Do it anymore, Martha. Are you hanging out with different people than I am?
2: I am not. Do you know in Kentucky if you are elected to public office, you have to swear that you've never fought in a duel. You still have to do that. Really?
1: Yes. Like before or after the swearing-in?
2: I forget. Before.
1: That's interesting. Mm -hmm. And what counts as a duel? Like with guns? (laughs) Like fighting on the playground behind the jungle gym? I guess it counts.
2: Licorice sticks? I don't know. Eight
1: (laughs) seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three.
2: Hello. You have a way with words. Hi. Uh this is Beverly. Hey Beverly, oh, where are you calling us from? Richmond, Virginia. All right.
1: Hi Beverly, welcome to the show. How can we help?
2: Well,
7: uh I have been aware uh recently of hearing the the term gentleman used in some some sort of strange contexts. Um primarily um with reference to like a perpetrator of a, a heinous act of some sort. Um, and it's usually uh, uh, law enforcement personnel giving a, a report, or local news people, or, or sometimes even the victims. Um, for example, there was one that uh, said that uh, uh, a, a gentleman wearing a ski mask held up a convenience store. Another one was a gentleman exposed himself to a group of young girls, and uh, that just has not been my idea of of what a gentleman is. And I'm just (laughs) curious about why they (laughs) choose to use that term.
2: Yeah, you sort of picture a guy in tie, in a tie and tails, (laughs) exactly, Exactly. top top hat hat and a ski mask. (laughs)
1: Um, Yeah, I've seen this so many times, and it's the kind of thing that um, people can't stop themselves from doing, apparently. My dad, by the way, was a was a cop for a long time. And I know that cop voice that you're talking about, that way where they'd go for this elevated language to make it sound official or important, and they don't quite get there. And I think that's a lot of what's <laughs> happening there is... If you say there was this dude, <laughs> you know, it's not quite as the same as saying there was this gentleman. And we don't mean the top hat and tails guy, right? Yeah. Gentleman has so many, like just like lady, it has all these variations. Yeah.
2: I, I mean, I'm with you, Beverly. I, I think it's sort of self conscious and yeah. performative. Yeah, well, that's what I was saying. Overly really yeah. generous, I think. Well,
1: mm-hmm. I think what's losing out here is they realize that it's a heinous act, as you put it, Beverly, right? Like I can find right. examples about a guy who. Um, flashed knives and and at a hospital and one of the other patients says uh, I don't know what was going through the gentleman's mind and you're like (laughs) "He had knives (laughs) (laughs) but the thing is there's the other gentleman which is kind of the default word you use for somebody it's kind of like guy although most cases you could say man but again you have people like Martha said they're they're performing. They're on the spot. They're talking to a reporter, right? Mm-hmm. They're aware right. that their words are going to be heard and judged, and they're looking for more elevated language to sound important.
2: Yeah, Beverly, what would you <laughs> rather hear them say besides gentlemen? Um, man. Mm-hmm. I'm with you.
1: <laughs> yeah. But... yeah. Is
2: that why it bothers you? Well, I guess it really bothers me because
7: uh, the, the conduct... That is in question. Just is not the conduct of a gentleman.
2: Exactly. Yeah, they have not. It's just not. They have not
7: earned it, right? Uh And I'm sure that the the term gentleman at at one point uh, had denoted a a social status, Um, but you know, I don't think it necessarily does that anymore. But it does, in my opinion, denote a a conduct or behavior of a certain uh, a higher level than what's allegedly been done. Mm-hmm.
1: I don't think you're the only one that's noticed this. And whether or not people are conscious of it or not, what you will often find when people mean the like the, the definitive gentleman that you're talking about, the the nice guys, they will add <laughs> real or true in front of the word. They'll say, he was a real gentleman mm-hmm. or he is a true gentleman. And this way they distinguish from the kind of throwaway gentleman word that just means guy or man or dude. Yeah,
7: yeah. Well, and it, it does seem like it's kind of become a generic term for a male person
1: right exactly right it's called semantic bleaching where the original kind of very specific sense is kind of withered down or narrowed down or winnowed down into something basic
2: (laughs) so beverly you're not alone well good
1: thank you very much for your call we really appreciate it certainly certainly
2: take care take care you too bye. bye What turn of phrase has caught your ear? We'd love to hear about it. Call us 877-929-9673 or send your email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words.
10: Hi, this is Heather Lopez from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Hey, Heather, what's going on? What's up? So I was calling to ask about um, a saying, dodo. So... I am from Colorado, and I grew up in New Mexico, and my husband and his family, they're from Louisiana. Whenever I tell my little ones to go, we say, let's go night-night, my mother-in-law says, let's go dodo. So I was wondering where the saying, let's go dodo, comes from.
1: So is that a little bit of a culture shock for you to go from Colorado to Louisiana and get all that new language?
10: Yes. Yes. It has definitely been um, very interesting. My husband's had to kind of coach me on uh, last names because uh, it's very French, and so I've, I've had to learn um, a lot of new new names and sayings here. Uh-huh, cool.
1: Dodo is a is a really great one because it's got a long history in French and a long history where it meets English. Do you know any French at all?
10: No, I don't. I I, di- I do not.
1: Okay, that's fine. But uh, a lot of the people who studied French or were listening to the show now are going, "Oh yes, I know what he's going to say." And I'm going to talk about the French verb for to sleep. It's dormir, D-O-R-M-I-R, very similar to the Spanish verb for to sleep
2: and English dormitory, the dormitory, place where you sleep.
1: There we go. So oh,
2: okay. So
1: dodo comes from dormir, and it basically is a baby talk. It's very exactly like night night. Or other reduplicated baby talk words that we have in English, like choo-choo or wee-wee or poo-poo, bye-bye, those, bye. Sort of, those sorts of things. Um, and it goes back to the 15th century in French. And so, what you're hearing is this remnant of Acadian French in Louisiana showing up in English. That and some other expressions in Louisiana are so entrenched that it will probably last 100 or 200 more years. It's just, it's absolutely a part of the culture down there and part of the language
10: absolutely and then they say um dodo yeah. F- mm-hmm. yeah so the french and, and so it's like a dance so whenever the parents are out all night yeah. um, participating in the activity then they say that there's a room for the babies to go in and so that's the way that the parents can go long into the night without having to leave and the children can go to sleep in the room
1: so that's from the french word to do or to make faire dodo faire dormir means to go to sleep
10: oh okay yeah. awesome
1: so anyway, it's it's really cool. And I have something for you, a recommended book which will help you get ahead of this and kind of get a oh, handle on yes, it. It's I would a, love a wonderful that. book. It's the Dictionary of Louisiana French, published by the University Press of Mississippi. It's not amateurish. So it's very professionally done, and it totally covers a lot of the stuff that you're going to encounter in your new life in Louisiana.
10: Oh, that that's fantastic. I would love to read that. Yeah, check it out. Perfect. Well, thank you guys. Thank
1: you, Heather. Thanks for calling. Okay, bye-bye. In French, there's also, this is more common in in France, where the metro is more of a thing, but they have the saying, metro, boulot, dodo, which is kind of like expresses the humdrumness of ordinary life. You ride Mm. the metro, you go to your job, you go to sleep, repeat. Metro, boulot, dodo.
2: (laughs) Is that how they translated the title of Groundhog Day, the movie?
1: Oh, they may have. That should be a great great example of it, yeah.
2: 877-929-9673. I always love it when friends use words I don't know, and then I have to go running to the dictionary. And a friend of mine the other day was talking about how, oh, I was just crexing about something. Crexing? Yes. Do you know this term? K-R-E-X. It means to complain or grumble, and uh, it's related to a Yiddish word that means to complain or grumble. Oh,
1: interesting. Crexing. Crexing. The baby's
2: crexing. Okay,
1: nice. Hit us up on Twitter, W-A-Y-W-O-R-D.